Matt Dwyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a t-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy uh, that was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at themattdwyer.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews, you get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Come With Me. It is from the album Zort by Julia Shapiro. And that single just dropped last week. Uh, It is on Suicide Squeeze. If you want to pre-order the album, which comes out October 15th, uh, in my show notes, there is a link to so you can go buy it or pre-order it. You can also listen to, I think... There are two singles out by this point. Anyway, Julie Shapiro's great. She's a Seattle-based musician. As I said, she was in, is in Chastity Belt and Childbirth. Oh, this is a really great, fun conversation, and uh, I think you'll like it. I enjoy... Uh, I, I We had never spoken to Julia before, as for most of my guests I've never spoken to. But all things Julia Shapiro are in the show notes, social media, how to buy music, follow her. And please buy the music. Don't stream it, as I always say. Uh, as well as you can go to themattdwyer.com, as I often say, slash episodes. If you like Julia Shapiro, you probably will love a lot of my past guests. I've had the, some of the coat hangers on, Danita Sparks from L7, Sunny War, you name it. I've had so many guests. I can't even keep track anymore. But uh, peruse my library. There might be other episodes that you really like, so... Uh, and listen to more of the conversation. And if you like the show, tell your friends. There's a little bit of extra content of Julia and I talking and the video on Patreon, so please become a Patreon subscriber and tell your friends about the show and follow me on social media. I'm a broken record. (laughs) Um, I'm recording this in the corner of my hot garage. So if I'm speaking quickly, it's because I don't want to be in this hot garage anymore. And So I guess I'll just say... Now here's my conversation with Julia Shapiro. Yeah, because I was reading about how you, like, when your first solo album came out, you were, like, having an existential crisis, and you went through all these things, and I was looking at the timeline, and I was like, oh, fuck, and then we went into the pandemic, so I didn't know if that sort of... Oh yeah, I mean, I'm always going through an existential crisis. Hey, so. me too. <laughs> it's just a constant, but yeah, the pandemic didn't help. I also had just moved to LA. Like, I moved to LA at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, the timing was that the day I got in LA, the stay-at-home order was announced. Oh, so, um, yeah, that was 
kind of a rough transition for me. Yeah. Um, and LA was such a hot spot. Like it was, it fucking Yeah. Sucked. It got bad for a second there. Um, I don't know. It's still bad. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love this, uh, life of mystery of whether we're fucked or not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I just assume that we are like always. Yeah. Do you, because I am also a person, I guess, who has constant existential crises, 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 crises. Yeah. <laughs> also a Chicago education. So, you know, that's where that, <laughs> but do you, I don't know, is this too broad of a question, but can you pinpoint sort of any moment or moments that may have spurned this sort of thing in your life that were, does your head spiral too? Like if something happens, yeah. you, like, does it go down that wormhole of everything sucks? Yeah, I definitely am prone to spiraling. I don't know if I can like pinpoint any like one thing that made me this way. I think it's just like my personality. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think, I think a lot of artists um, are prone to like depression and stuff. So I don't know. It's kind of like an introspective, thing i think it goes along with like being creative and making art was it but, um i don't know i i like being this way <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you sort of have to and i feel like i don't know i feel like when people aren't that way i'm like what are you lying to yourself about like it's like right, how do you keep this yeah. facade going i feel like those are the people who have midlife crisis crises <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they haven't questioned anything in their life. And then all of a sudden they like turn 45 and they're like, what the fuck am I doing? But I'm constantly questioning. So like, I'm constantly having like whatever life crisis. So yeah, I'm lately too. I'm just like, who the fuck came up with that? Like all these like rules in society. I'm like, who the fuck ma- laid these down? And uh, can we find this asshole? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I think it's like rules for people who don't want to like think for themselves. Are you talking about like just like unwritten rules of like this is the age that you get married and then you have a kid and get a good job? Yeah, those things, but also like you know, even like down to gender and like all that stuff. I'm like, who the fuck, like who threw these down? Who threw these bullshit rules down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got to find them. Cause I have, cause I have kids now and I'm like trying to navigate, like I want them to not, I want them to question shit. And like, cause you know, they're like, Oh, well I have to do this. Cause I'm a girl. I'm like, no, fuck no. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like crazy how early it starts. Yeah, totally. It's like written into everything, you know. Were you were you this way as a kid? Questioning things? Yeah, like um, I think so. Yeah, I've always been like a little bit of a rebel, I would say. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, especially in middle school, my formative years, I was like kind of a bad kid. Um, like how but not like I still like did well in school and stuff, but I just like went through like my punk phase where I was kind of like a mall mall goth, uh, where I'd like shop at hot topic and wear all black and stuff. What, <laughs> what, what, where were you 
when you were a kid? Like, um, you- I grew up in the Bay Area in oh, Palo Alto, California. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's pretty... I was just trying to think because there wasn't as many choices when I was young. It was you either went punk or hippie. Those were your two forms of Mm. rebellion. And uh, I kind of went punk, but I was too afraid to uh, like shave my head or anything. So I, yeah, I didn't do, I didn't do like go full out. I wasn't because at the same time, I don't love like having like too much attention on myself. Um, which is funny because I like playing the band, <laughs> but like I actually am like kind of uncomfortable being like the center of attention or people just like looking at me strange. You know, I don't want to call too much attention to myself, but at the same time, I'm very alt. <laughs> I've always been alt. <laughs> Was there, I don't know. Could you pinpoint like what started dr- pulling you into that direction? Like, was there? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Like I kind of went to this like alternative elementary school. It was like a lottery system to get in. We didn't get graded on anything. Um, and there was like, Oh, a working farm like on the property. And then I went to this all girls middle school, which was like very liberal and weird. Um, also didn't get graded. I don't know. I think I was just like exposed to like a lot more like different ideas when I was really young. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. And just being exposed to it, I like decided, Oh yeah, I want to try questioning things and being, you know, whatever, like this mall goth person. (laughs) (laughs) Were you, were you, I, I, apparently your, your parents must've been like on board with this or your guardians. Cause if they were sending you to that kind of school, they must've been pretty hip. Right. I think, yeah, I think they, they've always been on board with me. Like, you know, exploring my creativity and stuff. I don't think they were stoked on the way I was dressing in middle school <laughs> because, like, there really aren't that many pictures of me from that time. <laughs> Do you have any? I maybe like one or two, but like definitely my more tame outfits. You know, I feel like my mom was was just like thinking to herself, "This is a phase; it'll pass. I, I'll stop taking pictures." <laughs> I would love to dig up some embarrassing photos from that era, but yeah, I haven't been able to find many. Was your hair black? No, I, yeah, I didn't go that far. I did try to dye it blue once, but I think it was like the temporary dye and it just turned gray because I had like blonde hair at the time. Yeah. I feel like there's that period where when I don't know if Cobain said he like used Kool-Aid or something to dye his hair. And I'm like, like in hindsight, I'm like, that doesn't sound like it would work. And how many people yeah. started pulling, pouring Kool-Aid in their hair? Cause Cobain said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never tested that, but it doesn't seem like it would work. And if it does work, then that's like really freaky that people are drinking that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Well, we put all kinds of shit in our bodies that we probably shouldn't. Yeah. True. Uh, was there music from that? Like that drew you also to the goth thing that you enjoy? Like what were you listening yeah, like probably like the coolest things I was listening to, like bands and musicians that I would still listen to were like The Cure, Elliot Smith, uh, Fiona Apple. But then there was also a phase where I was like uh, Avril Lavigne, Good Charlotte. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I mean, Blink-182 still, I, I still stand by that. But yeah, I kind of like, it, I don't know, things happen so quickly in middle school. It was like sixth grade, uh, Good Charlotte and Avril Lavigne were really cool. And then by seventh grade, I was embarrassed that I liked them, you know? It's like they're posers. <laughs> it's crazy how I don't know. Like, I, especially like I think I grew up in a slower time culturally where things shifted, but that, that you could go from one year to the next and be like, "Oh, now I hate this band." Like, but that's how things yeah. move. Yeah, totally. That must be a lot of pressure. Was it stressful? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, we did this thing where we had like little squares in the yearbook. Um, where we could like put whatever we wanted to express ourselves. And I had put like a few different bands that I liked at the time. And by the time it came out, cause I think that was like earlier in the year, then by the end of the year, I was just like mortified by my yearbook page, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, uh, you know, time moves a little differently now. I don't, I, I feel like no shame towards like any bands that I've liked recently um, okay. I, I also just have like a different relationship with shame, I guess. I like encourage it more or something. Yeah. Shame is uh, bullshit. There, I said it. I know. Yeah. I, I, went on, <laughs> I went on an itch there, Julia. <laughs> no, I, I, love it. I grew up like, you know, in an Irish Catholic, like, and we didn't even go to fucking church or anything, but I still just had all that shame and guilt. And I'm like, what the, f-? like, how? It's so ingrained yeah. in our shitty culture it really is yeah i feel like it's something you have to like learn to either like live with like or you just like outgrow it a little bit i don't know or just like i feel like it helps to just laugh at yourself for the shame you feel <laughs> you know <laughs> like being able to just like really take in the embarrassment and laugh about it yeah um, I haven't quite got in there, but I, I try. Did, was th- people like, uh, Elliot Smith and Fiona Apple did that? Cause you started playing guitar in the seventh grade. Yeah. Like sixth or seventh grade. I think I was 11 or 12 at the time. Was, was there a reason or was it just like, were you like already showing the seeds of interest in music or was it just like, I think it kind of went along with like, uh, me getting into like Blink-182. <laughs> I don't know. I remember like some of the first songs I learned were Blink-182 um, and like Third Eye Blind. But yeah, before that, when I was really young, I'd played, I'd taken piano lessons and um, I think it was like eight or nine, took piano lessons for a couple years and showed a lot of promise. But um, I just like couldn't handle doing the recitals. I would get so nervous that I'd forget everything. Um, so I quit and I still, to this day, I'm like upset that my parents weren't like, don't quit. You just don't have to do the recitals. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So I like, I'd always been interested in music and I think with guitar, it was like my thing that I had chosen for myself. Like no one was forcing me to do it. So that felt really good. Um, and my good friend at the time also decided to pick up guitar. So we were taking lessons together, but yeah, I just stuck with it. Uh, when you say, cause you, I, I don't know the, the expression on your face when you said like, I showed promise, I was curious what that, like were the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, but I mean, where people like... I don't, I don't want to be like smug about it. But. You can be smug. I mean, if you're if we're great at it, like, you know, then you deserve yeah. to be a little smug. Um, yeah, no, my piano teacher like would always like give me an award for like something, you know? So I felt like, yeah, I'm good at this. And I also think I had like particularly like big hands for my age. So that might've been part of it too. But, um, yeah, I should promise. Do you still, have you messed around with it ever since or? Um, yeah, actually during the pandemic, I got a keyboard and was kind of just like trying to learn some classical songs, like some Eric Satie songs and stuff. Oh, I love Satie. Glass. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I haven't like, I don't quite have like the same discipline that I used to when I was younger. It's hard for me to just like sit down and concentrate. It kind of took the pandemic for me to like get into that, like total isolation. <laughs> were you playing Sati when you were a kid? Or was that? No, it? no. Yeah. Um, I was probably just playing some simple stuff. I, yeah, I, I learned how to read music, but it, I was never like fast at it. I'm still, it still takes me a really long time to figure it out. And then, uh, when I, by the time I like do figure it out, then it's just memorization really. Yeah. I was going to ask if you sit down and write the, the notes on the, the, yeah, sometimes I do have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so many people I know now they or that I've interviewed, they record, they just use their voice memo and like come shit. Oh Yeah. Like when I'm writing a song on guitar, I'll just like do voice memoirs. Sometimes I'll even like have a friend um, record me playing it so I can see like what frets I'm playing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Was... Yeah, I don't really like know music theory at all. Oh, no. <laughs> I just wanted to make that seem like it was. Oh no! Yeah, I'm not a true musician. Oh. I know it's like kind of the basics, but I really don't think about it at all when I'm writing music. Um, it's kind of just like by ear or by chance. I'll just be like fucking around and hear something I like, and then like go from there. Is that sort of like a meditative state when you're doing that? Yeah, I think they call it flow, <laughs> flow state. Yeah, I never heard flow, but I just I was thinking about uh, it. Like, I mean, if I've fucked around with instruments, though I can't play, nor do I know mm-hmm. music theory either. But uh, like, even when you yeah. don't know what you're doing and you're just like making sounds, there's something sort of that just takes you out of your brain. Definitely, yeah. So, like, I feel like I've written some of my favorite songs when I'm just like not thinking at all about what I'm doing, and I kind of just let my fingers go. Um, like, I'll be talking to someone and just like, like, use my fingers, just fucking around, and then I'm like, "Ooh, that sounds cool." So, I do think that, like, with songwriting for me, at least, like, if I'm overthinking it, um, it's not always a good thing. Do you find, if you find yourself, like you're writing a song and you find yourself overthinking it, do you just go, all right, fuck this, I'm going to step away for a while? Or do you, do you have, or I don't know. Yeah, sometimes I'll hit a wall. There's certain songs too that take me a really long time to write. Um, and then others that I just will write in like an hour. So it really just depends. But um, yeah, every song is different. But I feel like, yeah, if I get frustrated, I'll just put the guitar down and come back to it later 
Yeah, Bill McKay told me this thing that he wrote part of his song and then he couldn't figure it out, but he had the thing. And then 12 years later, it came back, like another part came to him. And I was like, that's fucking crazy. 12 years later. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I haven't quite had that experience, but I've had like like a few years later where it's just like I have one part of a song and I can't find another part that fits it. And then like years later, I'll put two things together and it's like magic. Do you feel like it's, I know this, I, I was like started being like, oh, is this a hokey question? But do you feel like there's an, cause I, a lot of people th- equate it with like a spiritual thing or magic, like, or I'm a, I'm a channel for the song and it doesn't come for me. Do you subscribe to any of that? Um, are you like in a way? Yeah. I don't know. I do feel like it's like more for me, maybe like a mood thing or like just like, yeah, being in the right state of mind for a song to come through. And sometimes I will feel like, like when I have writer's block, I just like don't have anything to say, I guess. That's like, that's where I'm at. I'm just like, <laughs> I have nothing to say right now. <laughs> and it's like important to not like force it, I think. I don't know. But my friends actually like started doing this thing called the song songwriting challenge um, where we were sending songs to each other like one song a day we pick a theme for the day and then kind of just like write really quick like voice memos um and send them to each other and that was kind of fun because you don't have enough time to like get in your head about things um and i i do feel like if there's if i have a prompt i can write a song really quickly it's just kind of like without a prompt sometimes I'm lost. I'm like, I don't have anything I want to say today. Yeah. I was, yeah. Is it cold or did you guys throw like themes at each other? Um, we'll throw themes at each other. Yeah. Like one of them was just like, write a mean song. <laughs> um, one was, and then they'll be like really specific to like write a song about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> like, so yeah, just whatever really. Did you write a Monica Lewinsky song? I did. Yeah. It's somewhere in my voice memo that actually was, it turned out pretty good. <laughs> I think I might've changed. I might've actually like used the song, but changed the lyrics. Yeah. I was watching a little bit of this documentary about the Brill building yesterday. And it was just like, like a factory of, I mean, it was great songwriters like Harry Nilsson and all these guys came out of there and Carol King. Mm-hmm. And it was just crazy to me because they would, it was like a nine to five job where they would just go and write pop songs wow yeah that's nuts to me it all yeah it also seems i don't know i mean all those people i mentioned are great or i mentioned two but anyway (laughs) (laughs) both great both great but like neil sadaka like it was a long list of these like old-timey songwriters and i was like i don't know that just almost seems anti the creative process of like i'm going to the office to write a song right Yeah, it's weird because I can kind of go both ways with it where I'm like, oh, I don't want to force my creativity. Like this stuff takes time. And then sometimes I'm like, actually, you kind of have to force it. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I feel like it's nice to have a balance where you're like, I'm really stuck right now. I'm just going to like write a song and have it be like kind of low pressure, which is kind of what that songwriting challenge is all about. Um, and get out of my head a little bit and just like have fun with it. So yeah, I guess it depends like if they were having fun with it when they were writing 
the pop songs. I'm like all for that. I don't think I could do something like that if it was like high pressure, like we need to deliver some hits, you know? Yeah. It seems like it would be. I mean, if it's like, because yeah. it's like if, I don't know. And I, I've known some like writers for SNL and it, that also seems like just a factory job. Like Like we got to churn out some jokes right now. And it just seems abnormal. Like, I don't know to be like, all right, let's fucking do this. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe that works for some people, but I don't think it would work for me. No. When, when, cause I read that like when Chastity's belt started, I think it was the first show that, you just wrote some songs just for that first show and it was like oh. kind of a throwaway and it was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't Was that sort of the process with the early days of that band of like, just cause it sounds like the approach to songwriting now that you have may be different from at least by what I read. Yeah. Um, well the first show we ever played was beta fest. Um, that like <laughs> thing it was like a frat thing and it was like battle of the bands. And, um, I think we played first and all our friends came and kind of like rigged it and just voted <laughs> multiple times for us. And then people forgot that it was like a battle. So like no one else was voting. So we ended up winning. I don't think we got a prize, but you know, um, still like to claim that title. Uh, yeah. rightfully. Uh, yeah. But for that show, we just had one like six minute long song that we had written specifically <laughs> for that show. And we were like playing different instruments at the time. It was a complete joke. We like wore eyeliner and like made these shirts that had like the anarchy signs on them. Um, so that was just, just like having fun. But I think deep down there was like, some like sincerity where I had always wanted to be in a band, but felt like it was intimidating and like less approachable than I would like it to be to like earnestly start a band. So I think it helps just like having it be a joke so that if we, if it did come across badly and we performed badly, then like we all are just laughing. We're all a part of the joke. It, it made it way more approachable, I think, to be like, we're all joking. These songs are funny. Let's have a good time. That was, that's interesting because that's what I thought of while researching you and you like s- s- saying that some of the earlier songs were that way. And I was like, was there a, because then you became more introspective in your work. And I was wondering if that was also like a, a transition where was that a challenge? And was there also like, were you afraid to make that transition or was it normal or not normal? Yeah. I feel like the, that transition kind of happened naturally. Like when we graduated from college and moved to Seattle and we're kind of like, all right, we're actually going to play some real shows, like not just like house shows to drunk college kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were like, okay, we have this, like this audience now, um, I guess we were just kind of writing for our audience, but also at that point we'd kind of like built up our confidence a little bit. People were giving us good feedback and I felt more comfortable being like, I'm going to write a more earnest song. Um, and I also didn't feel as much of a pressure to write like dance, like fast dance music or whatever. Like, so I think that was a big part of it. Um, 
yeah, on our first album, I feel like half the songs were kind of joke songs that we'd written in college and then half were more earnest Seattle songs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say like still now, um, I'm also in this band childbirth where our songs are all like jokes. It's almost like stand up comedy. Uh, and for that band, I like don't get nervous the way that I do with chastity belt because it feels like fun and jokey. And with chastity belt, it just feels like so vulnerable that like, chassis belt shows i just feel like i have no like front that i'm putting up you know it's just like this is me bearing my soul (laughs) and same with my solo music too yeah i was gonna ask about because is the solo stuff even more personal or is that even is that not even a point that could be made um i think maybe just in the sense that i like wrote all the parts myself but um, like lyrics wise, I, it's pretty similar to Chastity Bell, I would say. Um, I wanted to go back to, cause you, I don't know. I've been in frat houses and perform, but I don't know. Was that a strange environment to be in? Like I've always found <laughs> frat houses to be rather aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've never been like, I'm the kind of guy that those not to stereotype frat guys, but you know, I've been, I've been, maybe I've been beaten up by a frat guy or two. <laughs> oh no. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, frats, they're not, you know, the best environment I would say for anyone. Um, who's not like, an aggressive like cis white male (laughs) um but (laughs) but yeah I I went to like a pretty small college there were only 1600 kids so it was like weird that there even were frats but a lot like probably half the student population was involved in Greek life um so but it didn't feel maybe as freaky as it would at like a public like a state school or something um but yeah so like a lot of the parties that happened um in college were at the frat houses and that's just the way it was so I guess I got like pretty used to going to frat parties but there was like I feel like Lydia and I actually bonded over like kind of like freaking havoc at these frat parties like <laughs> we just were like no rules like fuck this and like we'd like spray ketchup and like at one point she like flipped over a table and then we like stole this pony keg like one of those small kegs um and then ditched it like maybe like two blocks later because it was too heavy <laughs> but um somebody found yeah, that this is what i'm saying a- about the rebelliousness it's like uh I feel like the frats were like this force that we were able to like fight against and like join forces and like fight against Greek life or something. I don't know. It was a bonding experience for me and Lydia for sure. But like just funny now looking back on it, like I think we were just like extra angsty, like being stuck in Walla Walla. And that was our way of like getting our angst out. How did you, because you were saying before you were like, you have like a little bit of social awkwardness and then how did you go from that and sort of being afraid of 
starting a band or hesitant to start a band and to being the person who was fronting Chastity Belt, even if it was jokingly? Because that... Um, yeah. <laughs> I was about to be like, alcohol. <laughs> sure. But, uh, I've made a lot of... I mean, that definitely played a part. I would say I just like... I kind of like blossomed socially in college. I was very awkward and shy in high school. And then in college, I just like formed these kind of like more real friendships, um, started going to parties, uh, felt like I had like a good crew and just felt more confident socially, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't, I also like, it's, in some ways it makes sense that I like front a band, but I, it's also like very unlike me and other, in another way. Like I feel like all of us in the band are pretty introverted. Um, and maybe out of all of us, I'm like the most outspoken. So it would make sense that like we needed a singer. So I was like, all right. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely felt like it happened just so organically that I, I almost feel like it was like an accident. I was like, like, like years later, I was like, how did I get here? <laughs> did you have like, any- I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this life. <laughs> That's great. Have you ever, have you ever had, I feel like I've read this where you had moments of doubt about doing music and like, what the fuck have I done? Yeah, definitely. All the time. I mean, I have moments of doubt about everything, but, um, yeah, I feel like there's, I really love, um, writing songs and being like making music with other people and touring is, can be really fun too, but it can also be like very hard. There's just, it's a balance where I'm like, there's certain things about the music industry that I really hate and um, don't want to be a part of, but it's kind of like all like a part of this whole machine. You kind of have to take the bad parts with the good parts. Um, But yeah, I think there's been moments of like exhaustion with just like touring and feeling like I'm like just like a part of the machine. Like, I don't know, but the pandemic actually made me feel like, um, inspired to do music again. I didn't, I kind of, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I don't have to tour ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, maybe I'll never play another show. Like I really honestly felt that way. We just come off of like three pretty long tours. Uh, and the last one wrapped up right before the pandemic. So I was kind of like exhausted and just felt like, got that out of my system. I don't need to play shows again. Um, and then just more recently, uh, we were like, we had an opportunity to play this show in Seattle and I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. (laughs) Like I want to do that, which is kind of like, which wasn't really how I was feeling before. So I think maybe I just needed a little break. Do you have alternatives of what you would want to do if you weren't doing music? You're like, I'll write a novel. That's the thing. Like, not really. Like, I'll toy with ideas, but um, I can never really land on anything. I think I would still want to do something creative. Um, I've thought about, like, graphic design or, like, 
sometimes I'll have like a fantasy about being like a furniture maker. I don't know where that (laughs) is coming from, but in my head, I'm like, uh, I could just see myself making furniture. Have you ever tried living a simple life? No, never. (laughs) But I think it would be really nice to create something like physical because music is just like this entity that's not physical. So like sometimes you've like recorded this whole album and you just feel like, what it what is it you know I can't really see it before me I guess you can see it on like a physical format but um I think it'd be just really nice to just create some physical art have you dabbled in anything like painting any of that I want to yeah I've I've dabbled in painting I have uh, not in a while but in college I took some painting classes and then I'll just do stuff for fun sometimes but um yeah, I'm kind of saving painting for when I'm like <laughs> in my 60s. <laughs> uh, I know I've like I watch people paint and the show Painting with John, which I worked on, but by the end of that season, I was just like, I want to paint. Like, but I can't. My hands aren't like I can barely fucking write my name. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can always go abstract. Yeah, um, I guess. it's so cool that you worked on that show. I haven't. I think I watched like the first episode, but I need to need to watch the rest because I really loved fishing with John. Huge fan. Yeah, he's uh, really great. But I was, I was like, I want to paint. I'm going to go buy some canvas and paint, and because he does, it's like an improvisation for him, kind of. I think. Right. Yeah, I like his paintings a lot. Yeah, just when someone has that much talent, I'm just like, why? Why are you not? <laughs> yeah, like, he's just like good at everything he does. Yeah, and it's like he just was like, oh, you know, he got a little, he couldn't play music anymore. So he's like, oh, I guess I'll paint. And I was like, I wish I could just be like, well, all right, I'll do that and be great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping that I'll be great at painting when I quit music, but we'll see. I believe you will be, and I believe you'll have your own TV series. Ooh, <laughs> I'll have to talk to you about that. I guess. <laughs> I, by the time you're 60, I'll be shocked if I'm alive. But if I am, please, I'll, I'll be kind of surprised if I'm alive in 10 years because somebody did a lot of drugs once. you know and like global warming oh yeah that's probably that'll get me before the drugs yeah yeah that might get you first it's like a race to see what'll get you first these days i know when people are always like well we've gotten through harder times before and i'm like yeah but global warming isn't a war it's wars (laughs) naturally they're gonna end global warming is gonna end us that's about Mm -hmm. it (laughs) it's like (laughs) <laughs> probably still be whales or something but we won't be here yeah i i kind of look at it as like humans are a virus on this planet <laughs> and I like the planet is doing whatever it can to stop us yeah we're bed bugs yeah have you ever had bed bugs <laughs> <laughs> um fortunately no knock on wood yeah because you were because um, touring and i had a lot of friends to, who would tour and bring them home to their places Ooh, and yeah I, that we definitely almost stayed at this place in leicester england that had bed bugs um but my bandmate saw one and we left <laughs> oh man what a fucking because you had like like guitars and all the stuff they like to crawl into so it would be a real fucking mm-hmm. hellstorm yeah yeah that 
some of the places we stayed in England were disgusting. I feel like British people are like just fine with living in squalor. <laughs> it's all those Charles Dickens books. Yeah, totally. They're just they just get used to it, I guess. But um, coming at it from like a different perspective, I'm just like, what is happening? Are you guys okay? Yeah, is that part of what gets exhausting about touring? Because I know I like did some tour type stuff, and what got exhausting for me was endless beer. Yeah, definitely. You know, all the free drinks don't help, and then driving long distances every day, sleeping in weird places. It's like a combination of everything. And then also just kind of feeling like you have to like give a good performance every night and like talk to fans and be like a nice person (laughs) can be exhausting (laughs) when you're doing that every night. You know, it's like, I don't feel like talking to people tonight. Yeah. Was I, w- I wanted to ask if this is a total, no, we went into a total different direction, but I was really curious about the song Reptile, Reptile on the new album. Oh yeah. Just from the name. Well, yeah. <laughs> or, and listen, listening to it as well. Um, yeah. So I, I had that like chord progression on guitar for maybe like four or five years. And I was, was one of those songs where I was looking for another part and nothing fit. And I just was kind of like, fuck it. I'll just, that's the song. Um, (laughs) and and I, so I originally just wanted to be like a instrumental thing. And I had, um, Melina who, uh, recorded and mixed, um, the album play trumpet on it. And then, we were both kind of like, this could use a little something extra, like, I don't know, like spoken word or something. And, um, I was like kind of looking through old videos and like voice memos. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I, I used to do this thing where I'd wake up and record my dreams, like immediately after waking up. Um, because I, I used to actually like write them out, uh, I was, I went through like a phase, even in high school, I was like interested in dreams and, um, I don't know. I, I kept a dream journal and I was trying to lucid dream for a really long time. Did but that, were you able to, I got like a couple short lucid dreams, but mostly I was doing this thing where like you check your hand, you look at your hands throughout the day. And then like, eventually when you're dreaming, you'll look at your hands and real and try to count your fingers and you can't count them. And that's when you realize, Oh, I'm dreaming. Um, so I had one dream where I looked at my hands and I was like, I'm dreaming. And it was just basically me being like, Whoa. (laughs) And then, yeah, I had another one where I was like, I'm dreaming. What do I want to do? Like, I'm going to fly. And then I, I flew and it was like kind of (laughs) underwhelming, but yeah. So for that song, I just found a voice memo of like a recording of a dream that I'd had where my friend Bree had like, was this turtle that was like digging at my side. Yeah. (laughs) Just a weird voice memo, but I felt like it, it fit. Is that the actual voice memo that's in the song? Yeah. That's, see, yeah. it's funny because I was listening to it this morning. I was like, I wonder if this was a dream or if this came from yeah. a dream. I don't maybe say that in the song and that's why I... Yeah, I don't... 
remember if I do, but I definitely have like a gravelly morning voice. (laughs) Um, So it's authentic. (laughs) I just, I rarely ask about individual songs, but I was so, I don't know, intrigued by that one. So I was, I was like, I want to know what this is about. And it, it seems not like, it just seems slightly different than the rest of the album, which is great by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, it was the last song that we recorded. I kind of was like, we had nine songs and I was like, let's make it a solid 10. Like, what do I have? What, what can we work with? And so that was added. I, well, I approve. (laughs) Thank you. I know you were, that's what you were waiting for. Um, and was that mostly, was this mostly done during the pandemic, this album? Yeah, it was done all during the pandemic. Um, one of the songs, or like, I guess a couple of the songs I'd written before the pandemic, but yeah, it was all recorded, uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, Melina, I was living with her and she had built this studio in the attic. So it was a very casual recording experience where I just be like, Hey, I have like a few new songs I demoed out and then we'd record them together. And sometimes we end up using like guitar from the demo or like even vocals. That's kind of cool. So it was just like this sort of casual sort of unfolding of an album opposed to like, I'm going to make an album. Yeah. Like I, I just like, written a few I demoed a few songs and I sent them to David from Suicide Squeeze and he was like really enthusiastic about them and then I was kind of like all right I just need a little encouragement I was like all right I'm gonna make an album like what else am I doing right now um and yeah instead of doing it all in like one chunk I was able to like split it up and just kind of focus on a few songs at a time which was really nice I feel like going into the studio and trying to record 10 songs can be really overwhelming. Yeah. It seems especially when you're like re- playing all the parts. <laughs> yeah. Did you, and you played everything. Yeah. Except for, uh, my other roommate slash bandmate, Annie played violin on a couple songs and then Melina played trumpet on one song. But yeah. Why, what made you come down to LA? I got a job working at this record label called danger collective. Um, and before that I'd been bartending and I was just kind of like burnt out on Oh yeah. I know bartending. service industry. Yeah. Where'd um, you bartend? And was it in Seattle? Obviously in Seattle. Yeah. This place called speckle and Drake. And then this other bar called Redwood before that. What but kind of- yeah, I was just like over the, like, especially like the late night hours and then just like the, the regulars and the bar scene, there, there was just a darkness to it. Oh, I fucking know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've like most of my, like my grandfather on part, like it's something I've been involved in like on and off for most of my life. And like, if like freelance, if I, like I always just kept a bar job because if it's like shit dried up, I was like, well, at least I have this and free booze, yeah. free booze, bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> were they yeah, like totally. divey bars or were they fancy pants? Yeah, they're a divey. If you're going to bartend, though, dive, I don't know. But dive, but then dive, I don't know. I think they both kind of have their asshole worlds. Because I worked in a yeah. couple nice places, and it was just like, it's just people being assholes on a more entitled level. 
Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't like interested in like becoming a mixologist or something. (laughs) I just kind of like, I liked like, um, actually the power that being a bartender kind of gave me because I I did like serving too. And I felt like, um, I like being the one that people are trying to get my attention versus like me going over to tables and like smiley and like (laughs) trying to get a good tip. I was like, I think for my personality, I'm actually like better suited for bartending where I can be a total bitch. (laughs) Oh yeah. I worked at a bar downtown LA for 10 years. It sadly doesn't exist anymore, but it was like a stone's throw from skid row. So, and I got, I got everybody from artists to, you know, unhoused people. It was everybody. And then like working Mm -hmm. dudes and it was just, but I could just be like, you know, if someone says, Hey, the customer's always right. I'd be like, not here. Get the fuck out. (laughs) And it felt so great to just be like, fuck you. Cause I know you blow this shit to everybody and you don't get to. You kind of have to do that when you're like, especially when you're dealing with drunk people. Did you ever break up any fights? Um, no, I don't like there were a few sketchy moments, especially at the, the second bar I was working at. I was working alone. Um, and that's when I kind of like relied on the regulars to protect me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I never had to break up a fight. I feel like I'm like pretty good at de escalating things just with my words. But yeah, I, I didn't have any like super sketchy moments. But like another guy who was bartending at the same place got like a pint glass thrown at him. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel like some people like don't know how to deescalate and then it gets to that point. Yeah. I'd been spit on, which was pretty fun. Just cutting a guy off. Cause he was too drunk. I was like, sorry, you've had yeah. and he's like, I'm going to spit <sighs> in your face. And I was like, in my head, I was like, he's not going to spit in my face. And then he spit in my face, <laughs> which is exactly why he was cut off. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cutting off people is always terrifying because you just don't know how they're going to react. Yeah, it's a, that takes that takes some skill. In a, do you feel like that? I know this sounds, but I feel like I actually learned a lot and was able to get a lot of confidence from bartending because I've had I had to a you had to fake it sometimes where you're like that yeah. fake authority. <laughs> it's like yeah, like, it's like it kind of helped me as a person a little bit and crippled me as a person in a lot of ways too. But yeah, I think it helps me like socially because you're just kind of dealing with all sorts of different people talking to like a lot of different folks. So I feel like I got like way better at making small talk. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Sometimes there'd be people though. I'm just like, man, I don't want to fucking hear it. I don't want to hear about your life, especially if they were like politically way fucked up <laughs> it's like it's like man i can't yeah, i can't get on board with you on this one that's one of the downsides of bartending especially if it's slow you're just kind of like stuck in this fishbowl where anyone can talk to you and i i remember just like trying to make like busy work for myself like I'm, i'd be like cutting limes even though we have like <laughs> enough limes just so people wouldn't talk to me but yeah, I, I enjoyed like a busy shift where I didn't get sucked into yeah like talking to people I didn't want to talk to. Could you drink on a job? Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say, <laughs> especially like the first bar I worked at, I 
that one was more like just hanging out with friends. It felt like everyone was tight with each other. And I had this shift with my friend, Aaron, where we would just like go nuts. Like I, <laughs> sometimes I'd be like, I don't, I don't know if I can go into work today. Cause like, I don't feel like partying, yeah. but like he would come up with really fun games. Every time we were bartending, like once it was kind of slow. So we filled up these empty vodka bottles with water and we were like doing like kind of cocktail tricks and like flipping them up and throwing them at each other. <laughs> um, he would, yeah, he liked to take an onion from the kitchen and, uh, there was like a baseball bat, I think for, defense purposes um and we'd like go outside and play baseball with an onion that's pretty great yeah we had a lot of fun yeah i look back at it and i'm like how did i drink so much in like six hour shifts like i mean doing shots with regulars all that stuff i'm like how the fuck did like i couldn't do it right now i'd be dead yeah no that's like another reason why i'm glad that i'm not bartending anymore do you, are you liking LA? Cause I know it's, uh, was it a place you would ever thought you would live? I'd always kind of hated on LA. Um, and I, no, I never thought I would live there. And then I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got that job and I was like, it was kind of right around when I was like starting to feel like I wanted to experience something else outside of Seattle. I was like, I lived in Seattle for eight years and pretty much like my whole adult life. So I just was like, what are other cities like as an adult? Um, so yeah, but I don't know. I, I still feel like I haven't gotten to experience that much of LA. I, I did end up like getting really into bike riding. <laughs> so that was, it's like, I have a new hobby now. I, um, I'm actually in Seattle right now for the summer, but yeah, I was living in Atwater, so pretty close to Griffith Park, and um, I bike around there. I made like a couple really deep friendships, which I, I kind of feel like, in a way, like the pandemic like brought me really close to people. Like, I don't know if I would have like formed as deep friendships um, without it. I, I definitely like haven't met as many people as I, I would have, but at least like the friendships that I did have felt like more meaningful so yeah i don't know i'm i'm going back to la in october and uh, hopefully things will be more open then and (laughs) we'll see atwater is pretty great i used to hang out in atwater a lot it had i really like it yeah it's it's changed a a little bit but the tam o'shantern i don't do you still drink or do you drink yeah, I do. I haven't been there, but it's that's really close to my house. It's like around the corner. Yeah, because that when I first started, I love like old man joints, mm-hmm. and like that. Didn't Walt Disney go there? Or something? Yeah, Walt Disney like, hung out there, and like supposedly, yeah. like it's the the he was inspired by the design of it for how the house looked in the for the Seven Dwarfs house or some shit like that. Yeah, I heard something like that too. But I would go to the bar. And they used to have a lot of dis- his stuff up, but I think they took a lot of it down because they were trying to, like, the grand mistake of their turn. Like, things are getting hip around here, so we should make this place hip, too. And it's like, no, that's mm. where you're wrong. Uh-uh, yeah. And it was like... Never the, change. The bar has, like, a carving station, so there's, like, a dude making sandwiches, and then, or at least the last time I was there. Uh-huh. And, and it was always, like, the same, like, six old people at the bar, which 
if I'm the youngest guy at a bar, I'm pretty thrilled. <laughs> yeah, totally. I should check it out. I've been meaning to. There's also like down the street from that, the there's like a dive bar called The Roost. Oh, that yeah. Elliot Smith, I think, used to go to because he has a song about it. Yeah, that used to, I haven't been there in a long time, but that used to be like super divey. And then I guess it got new owners and TG is pretty, TG is, I think, I know I always get confused because there's one of the main strips is Los Feliz and then I forget what the other one is. Maybe uh, Glendale. Glendale, it is Glendale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Record Safari just opened over there and that's been a problem for me. Oh, I don't know anything about like that. It's like brand new, but it's like some of their prices are insane. And I went in there and just like bought really? six records when I went to go buy two. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I have problems with uh, saying no to myself. You know what? You got to treat yourself sometimes. I appreciate that. I just, I have a, I think I quit drinking and then I just really became a record problem. Yeah. It's got to go somewhere that like self-indulgence, you know? Yeah. Um, and your album comes out in end of September. I want to say the 23rd. Um, October, October 15th. 15th. Mm-hmm. I was way the fuck off. <laughs> you should it have been time me. anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It was nice to meet you. Thanks, nice for, to meet thanks you. again for having me. Have a good day. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwire.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.